When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, doing it old school. Back in my car. We're a little hot, but we actually have a microphone, so we're not just shouting into a cell phone. But the thing we could not do this week is get locked in. So we're outside. We're safe as long as my car starts when we're done. It's Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means and Doug Maurice. Nathan Baird was at a wedding this weekend. He will be back on Monday and back full swing. 42-0 Ohio State over Cincinnati. 113 responses on text. Get subscribed if you want to be part of this post-game podcast. If you want regular updates on your phone about the Ohio State fighting Buckeyes. $3.99 a month. Go to cleveland.com slash OSU to find out more. Those are daily texts from me. We are coming up on another threshold, another even number that's going to be really good to get to, but let's get to your questions right now. Uh, I was going to start with a statement of purpose, but we'll get to it. Um, within these questions, bottom line, they were pretty good. And I said when I sent out the call, your question has to be something more than, what do you think of your 9-3 and three prediction now, smart guy? Because the thing that I'm not going to do is allow my season prediction to affect my analysis in the current day. So, like, I'm not holding back about how I thought the Buckeyes looked today. But I'm also not going to make a ton of assumptions about next week. And we'll get into that. And we're starting with the people who got in first on text. Tyler Shoemaker, our guy. What do you think? Oh, that's his joke. Kidding. That was like joking about why did I pick 9-3. and three. I agree that J.K. was better today. Teague looks like a future star to me. What do you, the pessimist, meaning I'm the pessimist, take away from this game moving <coughs> forward? Let's zoom in on the running backs to start. Stephen, you wrote about J.K. Dobbins uh, after the game today. J.K. Dobbins had 17 carries for 141 yards. What did you take away about J.K.? First of all, before I get started, I need you to close your door so your battery doesn't die. I that want... would be, here we go, this is me saving the battery. That would be, I mean, really, locked in and, and dead <laughs> like, battery, back to back. It's on record that I now care about Doug. I just wanted everybody to know that. Thanks, brother. Now, back, back to J.K. Dobbins, I <laughs> thought he had a solid game, given the fact that all that was in the first half. Most of that was in the second quarter. But he, he had 24 yards in the first quarter, and then, like, the other 117 in the second quarter. Yeah, except, like... 
he didn't think that way. I definitely thought, okay, we're getting Dobbins today. He's going to be really excited. It's kind of a bounce-back game for him after only 91 yards last week. He comes in, and it's like, you thought he would have had 91 yards on 20 carries again this week. He's, like, still not satisfied with the way he played, and I get it. You know, at first I was like, really? I asked him at the end of his session. I literally went, are you ever going to be happy? Are you going to ever come in here and say, I was happy with how I played? And he referenced the way he played in the 2017 Big Ten Championship game where I think he had 174 yards. That's what he wants to get back to? Yeah, I, I don't even necessarily th- – it's the fact that he, he averaged 10 yards per carry, which okay. is a ridiculous number to begin with. Like, I think like that's like Heisman level type of running. And I think the, the, the thing – I think the thing for him is his freshman year he was consistently at seven to nine yards a carry. That's what – like seven yards yeah. a carry was the consistent thing he was at. Last year he had a 200-yard game, but he ran the ball 37 so times. Uh, so, but let's talk about the present. We yeah. know the history with J.K. Yeah. He – he thought he still could have run better today. Yeah, he said he. It was just, in his words, it was just okay to me. So, what, do you? I did not have a. It was not one of the questions that Ryan Day was asked. I was not at JK at all. What was the plan of that? Basically, Master Teague played the whole second half. Was that just giving Master Teague a look? Was there anything to that? Did JK discuss that at all? No, I think not. He didn't really discuss it at all. It seemed like they were up, so they kind of like gave him some okay. rest. But no, it didn't seem like it didn't seem like Master Teague was supposed to get that many carries had this been a game. Okay, so JK seventeen for one forty one, Master yeah. Teague eleven for sixty. The second part of Tyler's question, and we're not going to get to every single question when we have more than a hundred. We're going to make sure we hit the themes that you guys care about. So if I don't get to your individual question, I apologize. Did Master Teague show you something, Stephen, that makes you think Master Teague needs a role on this team going forward? Yeah, because this is the second straight week where he's been really solid as a running back. Now, if J.K. is going to do some version of this, obviously he's not going to have 141 yards every single week. But if he's running for seven, eight yards a carry every week, Master Teague is going to be in a position to have a role. Okay, so it looks like to me, do you agree with this? Master Teague has taken Demario McCall's spot as the number two back. Yeah, especially like because... As a, a ball carrier, not necessarily a third down, like, passing option. Although he also, McCall didn't have a catch today. So McCall had five for 11. It just looks, and Ryan Day sort of talked afterward, like, Master Teague, if he keeps practicing like this, he has an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Let me give you these options. Which one of these would you take next week against Indiana? J.K. Dobbins and Master Teague share the load. They alternate series. Second option is J.K. Dobbins gets the first two series, then Master Teague gets the third. Then Dobbins gets two, then Teague gets one. It's like a two-thirds, one-third split. The third option is Master Teague, like, spells J.K. when he needs a break, maybe on a long drive. If it's the ninth play of a long drive, Master Teague comes in. If J.K.'s had four or five series in a row, Master Teague comes in. And the last option is J.K. Dobbins carries the ball every time it matters, and Master Teague gets garbage time. Which of those would you pick for next week? I'm taking Master Teague comes in when J.K. Dobbins gets a spell. Okay, so not a rotation yet at all. No. Still clear clear backup. No. I think I agree with that, but I bet you there are people listening to this who disagree with that. Do you think that there would be some people who would be like, man, Master Teague runs hard, get him a roll? Yeah, I can see why, because he's had two solid weeks. But J.K. Dobbins is still your best bet right now. I know he didn't play well last week, but he's still the best running back on this team, and so he is. Master Teague should be the the, the you know the sub pretty much. 
Question from the 202. Justin Fields is holding the ball a long time. Are they calling more complex, deeper routes because the line is playing well? Hard to see the line keeping a pocket for five-plus seconds against a team like Penn State. I thought there were maybe two or three plays today when Justin Fields held it for a long time. He got sacked on a play where he must have held it for 10 seconds. Yeah. And he was just waiting and waiting and waiting for guys to come open uh, and then never came open. He, he held the ball on another one where he was waiting for Austin Mack to get open deep. Uh, he threw a pretty good ball to Austin Mack in the end zone. There was pass interference. That was pretty good. I thought he held it less than last week, and I thought he made some better throwaways. I just thought he looked more in control overall, and you'll figure out what I thought about Justin Fields over the course of this podcast. I was a little concerned last week with him holding the ball. I did not come out of this like concerned about him holding the ball. He has that instinct, I think. I think he, he's, his instinct is to not ever give up on a play, so he doesn't really want to throw it away. He doesn't really just want to get out of there and run out of bounds or just run for one yard. He wants to try to keep something alive. But I thought he had a better sense of that today. Do you think that's a concern going forward about him holding the ball? No, because it always looked like he knew what he was doing at least. Like, you know, it, sometimes it did look like he was patiently waiting on some things to develop. Instead of just like, oh, I'm out of here, I'm just going to take off. While last week it was, oh, I'm just going to take off. So, no, as, as long as it looks like he knows what he's he, he, act, he knows what he's doing, I'm fine with it. Like, he got sacked, but he only got sacked once. So, Serious question from the 513, are you changing the 9-3 and three pick? So, like, you can't change your pick. <laughs> no, it is what it is. Your pick is your pick. I'm not going to let my 9-3 and three pick affect... This is how I always voted, right? And it's 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 it's... A, a fine line, but I think there's a difference. I'm not going to let the pick affect how I evaluate this team week to week and how I evaluate this team going forward. However, my pick was the result of like what I think about this team. And so my thought process is evolving, but there are going to be some things that were part of that 9-3 and three pick that will continue to be part of my evaluation of the team. So what that means is... I know that, I mean, did Nebraska-Colorado, like, is that over yet? This is still an overtime. Like, Nebraska, who I thought Ohio State was going to lose to, that's one of the three losses. They're not looking great the first two weeks. Michigan, who I thought Ohio State would lose to, is one of the three losses. They're not looking great. They had to go to overtime to beat Army. Like, I get that. I will say this. If Ohio State plays like this, they're a playoff team. So I'm not surprised they played like this today. I said take... Ohio State minus the points. I thought they might blow Cincinnati off the field. They did it even more than I thought they would. But I'm not surprised that they were up after maybe not finishing the game last week. My question is, with a new quarterback, with a new coach, with still a young offensive line, um, will they be up like this for 12 weeks? I'm not surprised at their ceiling, and they showed flashes of their ceiling today. I still have some questions about their consistency, but like if, if you said right now, right this very second, three losses, maybe I wouldn't say three losses. Maybe I'd say more like two or maybe even one, but I'm still like, I can't change my pick, but I won't, I, I still maybe think three and I need to see what they do in the big 10 and I need to see what they do on a week to week <coughs> basis beyond just Florida, Atlantic, and Cincinnati. What's this, the Nebraska-Colorado situation? Yeah, Colorado won 34-31. So Nebraska has like a shaky win over South Alabama and a loss to Colorado. Also, Colorado is better than Cincinnati, right? Like I think 
you know, I don't know what Cincinnati is going to end up being this year, but it's not a Power 5 conference team. This isn't beating TCU like they did last year. So I'm not going to get overexcited. But let's talk about what people want to talk about. And this isn't a question. Steven, do you, do you, are you having playoff thoughts about Ohio State after watching this game? Yeah, I am. I still, like, I didn't pick 9-3. Obviously, I picked 11-1. and one. I think if this is what they're going to do every week, then, yes, this is 100% a playoff team. I... The reason I picked eleven and one is they're out to is because Nebraska lost today, but I still think that like that's a losable game for Ohio State given the situation. It's kind of the same situation that the Penn State game was. I'm sorry, the Purdue game was. It's a road game against a team who, you know, they have some guys who can you know exploit some things, but they look good enough to be a playoff team eventually this season, but. Then you realize this is not the uh, Cincinnati is good, but they're not one of the better. They wouldn't be. They're not as good as some of the better teams in the Big Ten. I, I'm not trying to down. I, I'm downplaying zero about Justin Fields. Go watch our yeah. video where I gave him an A. Read the story I'm working on where he said, or I write. I'm going to write that he did everything you want a quarterback to do today. He hit a lot of soft underneath throws. Cincinnati was playing off a little bit. Luke Fickle said after the game that he thought Cincinnati wasn't aggressive enough. Ryan Day said they blitzed like crazy. I thought like Justin Fields handled that. I thought the line handled that. There's a lot of good. There is a lot of good from this today. But I'm not going to be as hyperbolic. I think this beat can be hyperbolic at times. And a lot of beats can be hyperbolic when, when the team you cover plays well. But like, you're not going to see a Heisman tweet from me. You're not going to see a playoff tweet from me. It's two weeks in. I want to see these guys against Nebraska and Michigan State. I want to see how they handle Northwestern and Wisconsin. And, like, Penn State and Michigan at the end of the year is going to be real. They're good. Their upside is really good. Their upside, I think, is as high of an upside as anybody other than Alabama and Clemson. Um, because they do have guys in the junior and sophomore class who were the number two recruiting classes in the nation. And you're seeing that. But I'm just, like, I'm not going to start talking about how, like, get ready for the Fiesta Bowl. So maybe if you want to find that, you can find people who are saying that. Because I just don't know about the consistency because they're young at coach and young at quarterback and young in a couple other spots. But you saw the upside today, no doubt about it. Brad from the 618 says, great game today. I have one question. What happened to the tight end throws? They were so good with the tight end throws last week. No catches for the tight ends today. I just think it's Ryan Day adjusting the game plan. K.J. Hill was off the field for the tight ends kind of a lot last week with the 12 personnel. Mm -hmm. K.J. Hill, eight catches for 57 today. Did you think that, I mean, I think they just schemed it up a little bit differently and attacked Cincinnati with some different personnel than what they did a week ago. Yeah, I think, I mean, that may just be like what the defense was maybe going to it was going to be open based on what the scheme was going to be. It seemed like with Florida Atlantic, the tight ends were going to be something they could exploit. And this this week, it was you know the slot receivers. Question about the penalties: two for twenty-five today. What are your thoughts on the penalties from the eight-one-three over the first two games? Seems to be a lot less dumb penalties than last year. Yes, completely agree. I think it's a credit to the offensive line that they don't get a million holding penalties and a million false start penalties with the group that has four new starters. The corners are being really physical and playing really well. They have not really been tested still. They have not played a quarterback who can test them. A lot of their dumb, quote, dumb penalties last year were like getting grabby on pass interference calls. 
um, we have to see them be tested. And maybe it won't come until Adrian Martinez in Nebraska in week five. But let's wait until they play a competent quarterback. But I do think they're they're very disciplined. Um, and they're not making stupid penalties, and, they, and that was more of a tendency a year ago. What's the update on Jonathan Cooper and C.J. Saunders from the 216? They were both out there warming up today. I saw C.J. Saunders has like a, a boot on or something on his foot. Uh, Jonathan Cooper was not in uniform. Like my question, my answer is like I don't know, and also I'm not sure it matters that much. They had Tyler Friday, Javante John Baptiste, Tyreek Smith, and uh, Zach Harrison playing at defensive end today with Chase Young. This is no offense to Jonathan Cooper, but I don't think they miss Jonathan Cooper. Do you think they miss Jonathan Cooper? No, because first of all, there's two guys rotating on one side who are NFL-level guys, and on the other side, it's quality. Jonathan Cooper, I mean, he's good, but like, it's not like you're missing Chase Young. Then it's a problem. I think like he's. It looks like he's replaceable. I'll say that. And it's not, there's no offense to anybody, but they have young (laughs) talent at defensive end. So, like, I don't know when those guys are coming back, but also CJ Saunders, they're not playing a backup H back with the 12 personnel they still do sometimes and what they want to do. Like, they're just, they're both captains, but I don't think they have a huge impact on Ohio State winning and losing. So, it's an interesting question. We don't know the answer because they're tight lipped about injuries, but I don't think, I don't think it has a huge effect on them either way. How do you think the Cincinnati D from the 202 <coughs> compares to the rest of Ohio State's schedule? They were quite good last year, but is the Ohio State offensive line playing that well? I thought the line, without looking at the film, did play pretty well. Cincinnati's best defensive player got hurt before the season. Um, I don't think that is not a defensive team that's going to match up, I think, to what Michigan State, Wisconsin, Penn State. Um, I don't know how good Nebraska's defense is, but I think Michigan State, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan, to some degree, are, are going to be tests that are far greater than Cincinnati. So I do think, again, in the hyperbole train, I, I think you have to remember, like, it's Luke Fickle. Cincinnati was 11-2 and last year. Sometimes there are really good teams in the American Athletic Conference. The depth of talent is not there. They are going to face greater depths <coughs> of talent across the Big Ten, um, much more than they did today. I saw Mitchell and Borland on the field together from the 614 at least a few times. I was a little surprised. Is that expected? Something you've seen before? They basically have decided that the Will linebacker and the Mike Lamb linebacker, with the way they play, are very, very similar. Enough to the point that all the middle linebackers can play Will linebacker now. So that allows you to have Taraja Mitchell, Tuff Borland, Baron Browning, all guys who would be called Mike linebackers or middle linebackers can also play Will, which means they can be on the field together. So it's usually Browning and Borland at middle linebacker and then Malik Harrison at Will, but they can rotate guys around, and that allows you to have Mitchell with Borland, Browning with Borland, maybe Mitchell with Browning, which I know we saw in week one. I think that's a good shift for the defense, and I'm glad they're getting some of these linebackers in like this. I told you Michigan would lose to Army, Doug. That's from somebody in the 614. That's almost. You were really close. How real was this win? Uh, is UC actually a good team or was it Mirage because UCLA is a dumpster fire? I think it was good. I think it was very good because it was so dominant. I wouldn't, I like, you have to temper it a little bit. They usually play a really good team in the non-conference. This is the best team they're going to play in the non-conference. They're not that good. What do you think of 9-3 and three now, Doug, you effing idiot from the 248? With my uh, loyal tech subscribers, oh. I know that is in jest. Because otherwise, my feelings would be very, very hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> let's see. 
How about the impact a fundamentally sound defense will have on this season? Love your work, Doug, but I think you were very critical of a Madison hire for only emotional reasons from the 361. Um, I think the defense looks really good. My instinct is to give credit to the defense for Jeff Halfley. Like, give that. But Halfley? The... That Halfley, like, like, if the defense is good, that doesn't automatically make me say that the Greg Madison hire was a great hire. It makes me say the Jeff Halfley hire was a great hire. Am I wrong there? Is that unfair of me? They keep bringing out Jeff Halfley to talk, not Greg Madison. Yeah. Is it I, unfair? I don't know it if it's be. unfair, but it's like... I'll, I'll say that the secondary, more than anything, is where I give it to Halfley. While, obviously, the D-line is Larry Johnson. I think... One of the, okay, I'll, I'll, here's why I'll agree with you. The main thing that Madison has been over is the bullet, and we haven't seen it much. Brendan White didn't play that much today. Now, obviously, he was out there with the three cornerbacks a little bit today, but we just haven't seen it enough. And if that's, like, his staple here, like, the secondary is halfway staple. The defensive line is Larry Johnson's staple. The linebackers are Al Washington's staple. We haven't seen Greg Madison's staple on the field enough to really get a gauge on whether or not this was a great addition or not. They – their scheme is much better. Like, it, you know, I, I get... It's fun, I, and it happens with the Browns all the time, too. Too much with the Browns. But it's like... Uh, and the media does it. The media drives it. And it's my fault as much as anybody's. Um, you get caught in, like, a credit and blame cycle. Um, now, for instance, it, Bill Davis ruining the defense. That's correct blame. And Greg <laughs> Schiano should be blamed for last year. Um Ryan Day, the way Ryan Day explains this stuff, that like I let the defensive guys do what they're going to do, but he always says, well, like when we had our first meeting, Ryan Day says, like I laid down some, he says, non-negotiable things. And I think the non-negotiable things that Ryan Day said was, don't do what they did last year. Mm-hmm. Don't scheme these guys into oblivion. Let them play fast and loose. Now, whether you want to play more zone, more man, whether you want to blitz more, blitz less, whatever. But I demand that you as defensive coaches let these guys play fast. So, yes, of course, credit to Jeff Halfley and Greg Madison for doing that. But, like, it wasn't their idea to stop, like, messing with everybody's heads. That was everybody's idea. I could have told them that. But Ryan Day demanded that from the top down. So let's give Jeff Halfley and Greg Madison equal credit for executing it. But the idea of it, sprang from the head coach who saw an obvious need. So, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm a jerk. Like, I don't... And it's not magic. They have a lot of really talented dudes that were recruited by people who aren't the defensive coaches now, and they're just letting them go. And so... I don't know. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe uh, if you want to call Greg Madison and say that I'm not giving him credit, you can. Okay, um... Through the first two weeks, has this time this team proved to you it has what it takes to make the playoffs? Six one nine, and did you expect Fields to look good this good? Did you expect Stephen Justin Fields to look this good in the first two games? I did not. I thought he would look good against Florida Atlantic just because like he's that much better than anybody on Florida Atlantic's defense. But I thought this would be a process, and then by week five or six he would put together what he did against Cincinnati in that game. I didn't think this would click that quickly for him. Yeah, I thought I think you knew this was out here again. I thought the best thing today was the was the control 
was the Bing Bang Boom. A lot of that was underneath, but that's what Dwayne Haskins took too. Um, he just looked in control, and I didn't necessarily expect a guy making his second college start against any team to look as in control as he did. So, again, upside is playoff, 100% upside is playoff. The question is, will they play to their upside often enough and against all the good teams um, to make that happen? So, very, it's certainly possible. Seems like we have a good number one and number two running back now from the 408. <laughs> to be honest, it seems like we have a good one-two punch at every position. Except for punter, kicker, and quarterback where we simply have one good one. Do you agree with that? When you think about the depth here, Stephen, defensive line, defensive tackle, linebacker, corner, safety, offensive line, receiver, running back, tight end. You think they're like high-level competent too deep at all those spots? Yes, but they're not all used equally. Like, yeah, I I think that's the key. like. If it's not necessarily a one-two. It's it's more of a our starters are really really good, and there's not a crazy drop off when we rotate more than it is just a one-two because it's not like guys are getting equal snaps. Like, yeah, KJ Hill's clearly the slot, and then usually when they take him off the field, they're putting a tight end on the field. That so it's not like enough. There's not another like the guy behind Jalen Gill is not as good as KJ Hill is. And that, that's like a great example. Chris Olave and Austin Mack, I think, are, are comparable, but I think Chris Olave is better. And then uh, kind of the same thing at the other one. Like, but like, yeah, it's Jordan Fuller is like really good, and then so is Proctor. But it's right. not like it's it's a little drop off, but it's not a crazy drop off. I do think, for instance, like Ben Victor and Garrett Wilson are the X receivers. Ben Victor, to your point, Stephen, had five catches for sixty nine yards today. Garrett Wilson only had one catch, but like the catch Garrett Wilson Wilson made looked like Devin Smith to me. Welcome to welcome to college football, Garrett. Like I love when guys in the end zone turn and go up for the ball, like they're going up for a <clears throat> rebound, and they don't just stick out their arms and like run. They go up, like they make a play on the freaking ball. And Garrett Wilson is a guy who will make a play on the ball. Ryan Day and I'm writing about that throw. Ryan Day was talking about like what a good throw that was from Justin Fields. Justin Fields hung in the pocket, gave it in a spot where only Garrett Wilson could go get it. So he had to go up and get it, but Justin Fields knew he could go up and get it, and Garrett Wilson went up and got it. So I think like that's an example of like, well, Ben Victor is clearly your number one X receiver, but if Garrett Wilson is your number two X receiver, you're in pretty good shape. Uh, I think if you were to come off your 9-3 and three prediction, it would be because of the offense and defensive lines. Fields has a ways to go. Lots of things need polished or fined. But I think you can lean on the lines going forward and avoid 9-3. and three. That's from B. May in the 614. Um, I thought, again, Ryan Day said Cincinnati tried a lot of blitzes, and I thought that the offensive line was pretty good. I, like, I have to watch it again, but I thought they were up to the task. I didn't think... I mean, uh, Justin Fields only took one sack, and the sack he took is when he held the ball for 10 seconds. You know, he was able to do what he needed to do, and he wasn't constantly having to move around in the pocket because there was a guy in his face. So I thought the defensive line would be good. Uh, I think Tyreek Smith flashing as a second defensive end is a big deal for them while Cooper is out. Um, Davon Hamilton blew up the pocket on one of those sacks today. Um, Tommy Togiai is chasing after people. He might be the best pass rusher inside. And Teron Vincent's still hurt and not playing. And that's a guy I think can make an impact inside. So um, my my 9-3 and three was so much predicated on the quarterback that I don't know that the offensive line and defensive line is going to make me come off of that. Um, if Justin Fields is just going to, like, 
pick people apart, then like that's what changes my mind. And so he certainly did it today. Am I 100% sure he's going to do it every week for the next 10 weeks? No, but that was really good today. <coughs> did Sean Wade have a good game or a bad game? Um, it looked like Cincinnati was targeting Brendan White. And if they executed a little better, it would have worked. Could this be a recipe for teams to follow from the 5-1-3? I don't know. I, I didn't notice anything. I know they hit some stuff inside, right? You've got to throw inside and over the middle of the field against Ohio State. That's You have to run inside. You have to throw inside. They threw for 166 yards. Um, I didn't think the stuff they gave up on a couple throws was like them getting smoked. I can't. Somebody made like a really good. I think they had like one deep ball for forty yards, yeah, yeah, yeah. forty-six yards. It was just like a really good throw, maybe over Damon Arnett. Damon Arnett was step for step with the dude. Yeah. I don't know what else he could have done. There were a couple things inside. You're going to give up a little bit of stuff here and there. I thought Sean Wade played physical. The thing that I'm worried about with the defense is when they have Pete Werner in at Sam linebacker, but they're playing him like a bullet. And I wrote about that and I tweeted about it. They're rotating. When a guy goes in motion, rather than being in man and someone following that guy in motion, they're in a zone where the deep safety comes up. So if Pete Warner's on the left side of the field and he's over the guy in the slot, let's say, if that guy in the slot goes in motion to the right, Jordan Fuller from deep safety moves up mm -hmm. to cover that guy, and Pete Werner drops back to deep safety, which happened at least twice today. A 243-pound linebacker as your deep safety is not ideal to me. So if they start doing that and teams notice that and start motioning in a way to get deep, Pete Warner deep and then throw deep over the middle and Pete Warner is supposed to cover ground and give safety help, that seems like a problem to me. And I'm not sure why Brendan White isn't in in that spot because Brendan White is a safety. So the bullet spot, again, is safeties playing linebacker, basically, in my head. But what this was today is a linebacker playing safety. I'm all in for safeties playing linebacker. Let's get a smaller, faster cover guy up who can hit and blitz and get him near the box. I am not in on linebackers playing safety. So the idea that like Jordan Fuller moves up and Pete Warner moves back is like insane to me. But we'll have to ask a defensive coach about it this week. Insane to me. Yeah. And that's not about Pete Warner. That's about how you use your dudes. And also, I, Florida Atlantic didn't do that. So I won't be surprised if they look at the film and we don't see more of the bullet next week for that exact reason. Brian B. in the 703, longtime listener, first-time caller, to offset your 9-3 and three reminder correspondence. Doug, you picked Ohio State to not only win but also to cover versus spread. You mentioned the blowout might be coming against a pretty solid opponent. What percentage of this team's ceiling did we see today? I think we saw... Maybe like 90% of the ceiling because, again, it's like, can you do it against better opponents? But I think we saw the five stars flash on defense. We saw multiple guys get pressure, not just Chase Young. We saw the offensive line play well. We saw the ball spread around, and we saw two running backs run hard. Like, I think, like, this was it. Now, they can have a better version of it, even better. Okay. But, like, was... like, I don't – but, like, I mean, they didn't hit, like, a, lot, a ton of deep throws or anything. But, like, th this wasn't as good as they can play, but this was everything happening at once. And also, it might be as good as they can play. Like, I say, it's not as good as they can play. They shut them out and scored 42 points. Like, what else, what did they do wrong that they could do better? I think execution-wise, this is, I think, cream of the crop for them. Yeah. But then you realize, like, yeah, they shut them out. Great job, you shut them out. But, like... You're still the more talented team, so you're in a situation where unless you're giving up big plays, 
You're pro- so, so you think you? What do you think defensively they could have done better? What were there? Were there things that you think? Oh no! Well, this guy or this group of players can play better. Yeah, not necessarily the players, but like you just broke down a whole way that like Cincinnati could have exported Ohio State today. No, you're right, but I think you have to give up something. Like you're not getting beat over the top. Not when you created a position that's get, that's there for this exact reason. I mean, they get they shut them out and they gave up 273 yards, 4.8 yards per play. So like their linebackers, like their corners are really good. Like Chase Young's a first round guy at defensive end. Jeffrey Okuda's a yeah. first round guy at corner. Like bear like. <clears throat> If, like, their linebackers need to cover better or their bullet needs to cover better or whatever. I know Brendan White was the MVP of the Rose Bowl and people have brought that up. Why isn't he playing more? I think they have some really high-end guys. They don't have 11 draft picks on this no. defense, I don't think. Like, I, you know, it's not... They have some guys who are going to give some stuff up. I don't think... I mean, it's like I think Chase Young's an All-American. I think Jeffrey Okuda could be an All-American. I don't think they have another All-American on defense, and that's no slight. Oh, you only have two All-Americans on defense, but they're going to give up some stuff. No, no, it's not. A t- I'm not saying from a talent. Obviously, yeah. Sometimes yeah. you're going to give like Damon Arnett. That, that's he did the best he could in that situation. That was just a great throw. What I'm speaking to simply is the fact you literally just broke down how there's a bullet position where that works perfectly if like. Jordan Fuller comes down and then Brendan White goes backwards. Yeah. That's what I mean more from like a just a they decision. They got to figure of, that out. Right. I'm talking more from that standpoint than the, yeah, they're going to give up stuff sometimes. Like some, that happens. I'm I'm just speaking to in that situation if Nebraska or Michigan, you know, exploits that, that's probably a lot worse than it was against it, Cincinnati. It that's is what an interesting I mean. thing. Yeah, there's yeah. someone they're putting some stuff on film that somebody's going to exploit. I think you're right with that. They they have a few things they need to get fixed. What do you think of all the NFL looks day is implemented from the 4-4-0? The thing about that is Ryan Day, I've talked to a couple people about this. There's a th- some people thinking that the spread to some degree has run its course. Not that it's not going to work anymore, but that if you're all spread all the time, now you're you're limiting yourself. Just like in a day where if you were all pro style <laughs> with a fullback on the field and you're only ever putting out two receivers, as the spread was coming in, if you were all that, you were limiting yourself. Mm. If you're all spread out all the time, three wide, a single tailback, a tight end that you don't throw to very much, now you're at a disadvantage. So Ryan Day is leading <coughs> Ohio State back the other way. And it's what we talked I talked with him in the spring, and I wrote about it then. It's the idea of NFL ideas from a spread set. Mm. It's it's NFL it's a spread base with NFL plays, which means yes, we're a spread team, but here comes our 12 personnel with an offset tight end and we're going to run some stuff out of that and get some mismatches with that. Mismatches with that. That's going to be really good for them. And a lot of people have sort of keyed in on that. Nathan wrote about that with the under center stuff and the two tight end stuff. Like that is like the the reverse revolution, and everything's cyclical. And when everybody goes one way, the smart teams go back the other. Ryan Day is helping lead Ohio State back that way, and I thought it was interesting on a couple things. And I think I made this point earlier this week. Luke Fickle knows Ohio State, but he doesn't know this Ohio State. He knows urban spread, press man defense Ohio State, and that's not who they are anymore. So Luke Fickle did not have an edge of understanding Ohio State. He was saying, we didn't know what they were going to do defensively. And I think to some point, they didn't know what they were going to do offensively because this <clears throat> is a mishmash of two things that Ryan Day is not uniquely qualified, but 
but rarely qualified to implement with his spread knowledge, with his NFL knowledge. I think this mishmash is the next evolution of this, and he's going to be a leader in that. Um, is it possible Chase Young is the best defensive player in the country now? Certainly seems to be at least as good as Bosa started last year from the 5-1-3. Do you think so, Stephen Means? Uh, it's it's early to just go, yeah, he's the best defensive player in the country. Um, I don't know. I think eventually on this podcast, like, I think we should, like, have a discussion on, like, who's the best, like, rank these defensive ends. In Ohio State history? Or in just the in country? like no, just in like the, the this ten year span of like basically since Larry Johnson showed up on campus, yeah. Because I think I think Chase Young might be the most physically gifted. I agree. Football player in the country. I think he's the most physically gifted defensive end they've had. Yeah, like the dude. Like if obviously, like y'all y'all are seeing him on TV. Like he looks like a twenty eight year old grown man, and he's twenty. Yes. And he's not, he's fast, like, he's smart. Like, yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know if he's the best football, college football player in the country. It's, it's way too early to say that. But it's like him and, like, seven other guys in that conversation. I don't know anything about anybody else in the country because, as I once said, as we looked out across Ohio Stadium, one of the early days in my career, <laughs> we had covered a game. It was late into the night. And I think I probably told this story in this podcast. We're like at episode like 225. I'm in the repeat zone. So if you've heard this, fast forward. And someone noted and, and looked out and said, wow, look at that moon. And I said, I don't get paid to cover the moon. So I'm not looking at it. I got to write this stinking story. I don't get paid to cover anybody else in college football. So I don't know anybody else. But I know a lot about Ohio State. And I think Chase Young is more physically gifted than the Boses. The Boses are unbelievable athletes. But they also were raised as defensive yeah. ends since the time they were three, and they were incredible technicians. Chase Young, I also think, is now an incredible technician. He's Watch that physical, guy's get-off. He's a physical specimen. Watch that guy's get-off on the snap. And this is, like, hyperbolic, and it's because it's in-state, and it's because I'm going to the Browns on Sunday. He reminds me of Miles Garrett. And I don't know that anybody would say that Joey Bosa or Nick Bosa necessarily reminded you of Miles Garrett, because what Miles Garrett has is incredible hand-eye coordination and quickness that gets him off the snap. And then he is so long and limber and lean, he has a tremendous bend to get around the edge. And I see that kind of thing with Chase Young. Chase Young has a lot of power, but he has a lot of speed off the snap. He's beaten these tackles before they even can move their feet. So, like, the problem is that everybody is, like, saying things like, why don't they just stop playing football? And move to LA. <laughs> no one can ever play defensive end better than Chase Young has. That's eliminate sports and just make everybody in America name their kid Chase. Like whatever you say about Chase Young is not as as flowery or um, complimentary as what the next guy says. So like he's really good. And if Miles Garrett could be the number one pick in the draft. I think Chase Young could be the number one pick in the draft. Now, the Bengals are going to need a quarterback. The Dolphins are going to need a quarterback. I don't know if Justin Herbert or Tua or whatever, like the quarterback's going <laughs> to demand it. I think he, I think he's at that level physically, mentally, emotionally. He's a completely together guy. He's an, the vocal leader of this team. Chase Young checks all the boxes. But whatever I just said, I'm sure someone out there 
said something more complimentary about him. So go read that. Uh, where are the weaknesses? From Charlie in the 773. There's got to be a weakness, right? Where's the weakness? What's the thing Buckeye fans can freak out about this week? That is like a really good question. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, because like, even on like when when since I mean Cincinnati had some opportunities to score, it, it ended up in turnovers or a blocked kick. So like, I mean, nobody plays perfect, but like, <laughs> they don't have an obvious weakness right now. I, I'm curious about you know the the offensive line against better competition. Yeah. Let's see, um, JK against better competition. Let's see. Justin being pressured because he wasn't pressured this week. Yeah, he, like he was, he got sacked once and he held the ball forever. So yeah, you hold the ball forever. Eventually, someone's gonna get to you. He got pressured last week and he either took off or he got sacked. He's gonna get pressured eventually when they play some better talent. So he looked calm this week, but everybody, I, I mean, anybody can look calm when there's nobody in your face. Is that so? It was, was him looking calm and under control just a product of? This was a really good job by the line, and nobody pressured him. Or is he really getting calmer and in more control as the season goes along? Here's what I think the weakness is, and I like when you guys ask questions that make me feel like I need to write about it. I think the weakness is the question of whether these guys can sustain it, because many of the guys they're relying on either a haven't done it before, or b have been like not great at times in the past. For instance, J.K. He didn't have a great year last year. He didn't have a great week last week. He looked really good today. Are you sure he keeps that up? Justin Fields has never done this before. Are you sure he keeps that up? The offensive line hasn't done this before. Are you sure they keep it up? Pete Warner and Tuff Borland and Malik Harrison are the same three linebackers who played last year when the linebackers didn't look good. We think that's all scheme. And Baron Browning, who didn't have two great years, his first two years here, looks like he's playing well. Are we sure they aren't going to make any of the same mistakes they made last year? Damon Arnett got handsy last year. Damon Arnett is a super talented guy who I don't think played like a high draft pick necessarily last year. Are we sure Damon Arnett's going to be awesome? Like, I think you know Okuda's going to be good. You know Chase Young's going to be good. Because those guys have been on trajectories in their career. And you can see them topping out. I think there are some guys here where it's just like, wow, they looked really good today. And it's not to doubt them, but we don't have 100% proof, either because they're young or because they've had some some bumps in the past. We don't know 100% for sure that they're going to keep that up for 12 games. Um, let's see. Doug Maurice. Was the O-line's dominance just a matter of clearing up mental mistakes and assignment errors from last week, or is there something more to it? I don't... I think part of it is they were talking about Florida Atlantic and the, after after the first quarter last week was jumping around a little bit more. I don't know. I mean, Ryan Day said they threw a bunch of blitzes at him and, like, they handled it. I think they might have just handled their business. He sound, I don't know. He sounded out your name like it was a dictionary. It is correct from the 937. He yeah. did spell it L-A-Y-M-A-U-R-I-C-E. Really? That is correct. the name Maurice. That is the way we do it, baby. Um, can we glean more from the game today? Buckeye's a national championship contender. I thought Field was great. Stayed in pocket, read through progressions, ran when needed. Also, can we be done with its Michigan's year? That's a pretty w- that's a pretty way to say, what do you think of 9-3 and three now, Doug, you <laughs> idiot? From the 515. That's, that up right. Let's end with that. Let's end with that. Do we walk away today saying they're a national championship contender? No. We don't, but, like, I think it's a good thing to pay attention to. I think it's like this – it's a thought in the back of your head, but, like, you shouldn't be ready to, after Florida, Atlantic, and Cincinnati, say this is a national championship contending team. But 
it's okay to like have it in the back of your mind. We have three more pages of questions that we can't get to because I am dripping sweat. We're going to try to keep this to 35 to 45 minutes post-game. Maybe I'll start doing a Hey Doug with uh, writing out some answers to some of these questions after the game. Um, we'll see. There's a lot to write. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to cover. I thought that was really good. Like, I, I, I thought that was really good, and I, and I want to write about this this week. And here's the thing on the defensive side of the ball. That, to me, felt like the Trestle defenses when you felt like most weeks when they weren't playing a very good team, you thought they might shut them out. And I don't even know as good as, like, sort of in the spread era. Um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Like, it's just a feeling I had. You had a feeling. There was a year, I think, with the Trestle defenses where they had, like, four shutouts. And they didn't have a shutout last year. Their last shutout was against Rutgers in 2017. But, you know, stuff against Rutgers doesn't really count. That just felt smothering to me today for most of it. Just like, I don't know how they're... Now, they could have kicked the field goal and they got it blocked and they fumbled at the, at the end into the end zone against the backups. But that just felt to me, even beyond Justin Fields being in control, that was a defense in control to me today. And I was asking Jeffrey Okuda about it afterwards, and he was talking about how last year a lot of the former players were like telling them, don't worry about it, you'll get it back. And he was like almost embarrassed that these players had to be like giving them pep, pep talks. And he said, like, we didn't want to be the ones that like let the silver bullets go away. And I thought today felt more like, oh yeah, that's the silver bullets. Like, that's the like Malcolm Jenkins, James Laurinaitis. A.J. Hawk, Dante Whitner, um, Bobby Carpenter, Anthony Schlegel, Mal, you know, Ashton Yabodi, um, Nate Sally. Like, I'm just, like, smothering. Just like, I don't know, I don't, Vernon Golston, I don't know how they're going to score today. And not from an analysis standpoint, but from a feeling standpoint, I felt like I haven't necessarily felt like that about a defense in a while here. And, of course, Joey Bose is great. And, of course... The corners have been unbelievable. But this just felt, again, both sides of the ball just felt like a team in control. And I think whoever your opponent is in week two, if you can come away feeling that, I think you're doing a lot right. More coverage coming this week. It's Indiana at Indiana next Saturday. Get subscribed to Project Text. Be part of this. Don't you want it? You see, here's the thing. You don't get to call me an idiot for free. I sent out the call <laughs> to the tech subscribers saying... You can't just say, are you changing your 9-3 and three pick, Doug, you idiot. You have to bring more than that. But then some people did take advantage to tack that on. But I'm not going to do that on Twitter. Twitter, I just make lame Browns jokes. I made like a lame Browns tweet about Anthony uh, Antonio Brown signing with the Patriots, and people like take it seriously. All my tweets are just stupid because the real stuff, because it's free, it's fun. Keep following me on Twitter. It's fun, and it's stupid, and it's silly. But the real stuff is on here. So if you want to be part of it, cleveland.com slash OSU. It's four bucks a month. Think of all the money you blow in a month. Literally. I'm not saying it's a good investment to spend four bucks a month on me. I'm saying you've made worse. Try it. Cleveland.com slash OSU. There's a bunch of ads there. Projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. That'll get you there too. Try it. We're having fun on here. People love to give me crap, and I give you plenty of reasons to do it. Try Project Text, 14-day free trial. I think if you try it, you'll like it. But at the very least, try it. 
If you're listening to this, if you're listening to a 46-year-old man sweat through his jacket in a car... Why do you have a jacket? I get chilly. I like to okay. be warm, but I'm literally drenched in sweat now. So if you're going to put up with this, try the texts. For Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks so much to you guys for listening. Every Wednesday, the normal two-hour Buckeye Talk, the post-game Buckeye Talk on Saturdays. Ohio State beat Cincinnati 42 to nothing. Coverage of the uh, Indiana-Ohio State game coming all next week. So for now, that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.